0: I uh, pray that you would just uh, guide and direct us as we look in um, the book of Acts. And really, Lord, um, just so challenged by uh, the conviction, uh, the heart, uh, the desire to, uh, to please you and to be faithful to um, the call that you had on their lives, God. And uh, thank you for the example that they are to us. And I pray, Lord, we would be encouraged uh, by them as we look into their lives. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to, we ended up in uh, the end of Acts 16, and uh, what happened was uh, the Philippian jailer gets saved, right? We're going to pick up in verse 35 of Acts 16, and then we're going to move into uh, Acts 17. So let's read, uh, let's read verses 35 through 40. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. Paul and Silas are those men. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. You know, do you think that's pretty good news, right? You know, you can, you can leave. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, or I don't think so, right? Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid When they heard that they were Romans, then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they're in Philippi, so they asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So once the magistrates learned that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they realized that they were in the danger of incurring the wrath of Rome uh, because uh, it wasn't a good thing to do that, to um, unlawfully scourge or imprison a Roman citizen. So Paul, and, and here this is some, something to think about. I was thinking about this the other day. Paul refused to leave when he had the opportunity, um, you know, because, you know, he's, he's considering the church. Paul could have very easily just said, hey, great, let's go. Come on, Silas, we're out of here. But there was, all of this had happened publicly in the open. They were beaten in, in broad daylight in front of the church, right? They were taken into custody. They were put in jail. And if Paul would have just left. It would have been on the minds of the folks in the church, right, this, this church that just was birthed in Philippi, that, man, you know, Paul must have did something wrong. These, there's, something must be up. I don't know if I'm going to that church tomorrow. But, you know, something. what's happening? You know, and, you know, and, and this is just a, another glimpse into what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. I really believe that the Lord set all of this up just for this, and another thing to think about: Paul doesn't want. Paul wants to make sure that the church knows that, that it, it had nothing to do um, with what he was preaching. Okay, uh, they were, they were accusing Paul of insurrection. You know, we've heard that word a lot lately, but they were accusing him of you know, you know, trying to subvert Caesar, which he wasn't doing. But just think, if he didn't take this route, people would have thought. That. that, oh, this movement is trying to subvert or try to th- you know, overthrow Caesar. You know, nobody wants to get into that. I mean, that's like a death sentence, right? So Paul makes sure that um, what, if they want him to leave, then you have them come and you tell us to leave um, publicly. You ask us to leave publicly and uh, we'll go. And the reason why is because it took all the heat off the church. It was, you know, he wanted it to be obvious to the Christians in Philippi that it had nothing to do with the false accusations that were coming against him and Silas. Very important, very important. And, you know, Paul just putting himself above, you know, just just putting the church above himself, you know, wanting there to be clarity. And, you know, I was thinking about this. When Paul got when Paul and Silas got arrested, why didn't he say then, "Hey, wait, we're Roman citizens, man. What are you guys doing? You can't beat us. You can't put us in jail. What are you doing?" He didn't he didn't say that. They took a beating and they were thrown in jail. Now, this is just me speculating, but I think I really believe that, you know, the somehow the Holy Spirit just impressed on Paul's heart. Hey, you know what? Just go to jail. Just go to jail. Paul, you don't know this yet, but there's, a, there's a, an overseer in that jail that you need to share the gospel with. There's people in that jail that don't know me. So you know what? Are you willing to take a beating for me and to go to jail for this one soul or for those, whoever else got saved that day? I really, you know, And it doesn't say that, and it's just me speculating. But for some reason, he doesn't say I'm a Roman citizen when they're beating him. I mean, that would be the time, right? As they're getting ready to hit you the second time, you're, you would be like, oh, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't even bring it up at that point. So I really believe... That, you know, Paul is just sensitive to the, to the direction of the Holy Spirit. He's in jail, and we all, you know, we talked about it last time. You know, the jailer gets saved, his family gets saved. Um, it's really just an awesome time. So something to think about. If Paul would have spoke, if he would have said something in, in the outset, then who would have shared the gospel with the jailer? Would somebody else have? I don't know. Paul Paul didn't say anything, ended up in jail, and the Philippian jailer gets saved, he and his family. So the moral of the story is to be um, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Don't, Don't get ahead of God. You know, when things look like they're getting out of hand, take some time and just pray. Just, you know, just kind of settle yourself and, you know, give God an opportunity. You know, that's why he gave us two ears and one mouth, right? So we could listen twice as much. So, you know, God wants us to hurry up to listen, not hurry up and speak or hurry up and do something. You know, if we're going to hurry up, if we're going to try to push the agenda, hurry up to listen to see what God has to say. So, obviously, Paul gets uh, Paul and Silas are taken out of jail, they asked them to leave Philippi, but Paul says, well, yeah, we will, but we're, um, we're going to go to Lydia's first, and we're definitely going to make sure that the church understands what happened. I mean, he doesn't tell them that, but, you know, he wants to go, he wants to minister to the church before he leaves and make sure that they understand everything that happened. You know, that's the heart of a shepherd, right? You know, that's um, the heart of a, of a father, right, a husband, you know, Paul, he, you know, he, he cared for the church, he cared for the church, so as we move into, into chapter 17, um, and you can, you can thank Thar- Charles Stanley for, for this the next few minutes, <laughs> because last night I was, I like to check him out at night, you know, he's really a, I, I just like listening to him. And he was talking about conviction. And I was thinking to myself, you know, looking through the book of Acts, you know, you see that that's one of the the driving forces in these folks' lives was their conviction. They were thoroughly convinced that, you know, the word of God was true. They were thoroughly convinced that the gospel was the only way to get to God. You know, they were convicted And so Charles Stanley talked about it for a few minutes, and he was comparing conviction with preference, right? Preferences can change. We don't live by them. We live by our convictions. And that's just what we see in the book of Acts. We see the church. We see believers living their lives by conviction. And, you know, it's something to think about, something to think about. He got me... um, Thinking about that word conviction. We live by our convictions. Um, characteristics of a person with convictions. A person with convictions lives a life of purpose. That's not a bad thing, right? A purpose. We have a purpose, right? We have a purpose. You know, a characteristic of a person with convictions is faith in God to enable us to live out those convictions. We have convictions, and we know that God is able to enable us to follow through on those convictions. You know, you see it throughout the whole book of Acts. You know, these guys are convicted. You know, God is speaking into their lives. And, um, you know, they're just going going out and just responding to the promptings of the Lord. I mean, we're going to look at Paul is going to go through... He's gonna go from Philippi to Thessala- Thessalonica to Berea into Athens in around a year, and he's gonna cover over. Um, I did write it down. He's gonna cover 366 miles. You know, and you think about that. That's conviction. You know, that's what it, that's what it looks like when you walk 366 miles over the course of a year to get beat up every place you go, to get thrown in jail, to be criticized. You know, and that's, what Paul, that's what's going to happen. You know, we wake up and we sneeze or we don't feel like getting out of bed or whatever and we don't come to church or we make excuses for different things that we don't do that we know God is prompting us to do. Reading the book of Acts could make you feel uncomfortable because, you know, these guys it didn't make a difference. If God said it, that settled it, they were going to just do it. Um, conviction. Um, the characteristic is courage when, when challenged by others concerning Jesus and his word. And Pastor Rob mentioned this morning about going to town meetings, going to school board meetings, you know, getting involved in the community. And, you know, we can get involved in the community and we can bring our convictions, right? Convictions that we, we um, have in, incorporated into our lives from the word of God. And, you know, as we share those convictions at these meetings, if you, if you go to one, um, we, we just got to make sure that they know that the, it's just not what we think. It's what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says. I listened to um, one of the teachings uh, from the East Coast Pastors Conference and it was um, the pastor from California. Um, he he got fined over two million dollars, I think. But you know, every when he shared his his story as he was teaching, every time he was in front of a judge or he was in court or whatever, it was like a Bible study. He was giving them the Word of God. You know, they knew that what his whole his whole purpose for being there, um, it was all. Based on the Bible, his relationship with the Lord, things that God had ordained. And, you know, I think that we should get involved to the extent where, where you feel comfortable. But just keep in mind, you know, we go armed with the word of God. You know, we're not there because we think it's a good idea or it was a suggestion, you know, made. You know, if, if, you know, you, if you're really convicted about some of the things going on in the community, then you should get involved. You know, because God is going to give you an open door. And you know what? You step through that door, and and just like these guys in the book of Acts, it's just pointing it back to God, pointing it back to the Lord, pointing it to the word of God. So um, definitely convicted, uh, I mean, in convictions. Um, When we're challenged to keep the big picture in mind, basic principles or biblical convictions um, are important. As parents, we need to pass on those convictions, you know, as ministering to the kids in the church, whether it's the teens or the younger kids, you know, it's these biblical convictions, things that that they're going to hold on to through their life and it is going to benefit them. The church is in the predicament it is today because of a lack of conviction. I really believe that. And uh, you know we're all, um, you know we're all we've all seen the the silence of the church over the years. You can see some of the laws that were passed, abortion things like that. You know where was the church? But you know what? That shouldn't prevent us from doing what we know is right. What God has convicted us, being that light, being that light. So. Uh, Thanks, Charles. You could thank Charles Stanley for that. It just really got me thinking, you know. And, and you know, we want to be men and women of conviction, right? You know, when somebody says, "Well, why are you a Christian?" We want to, you know, we want to be able to share with them why, you know, that hope that we have. And uh, that's basically what we see happening in the Book of Acts. So, Acts 17. So Paul is uh, going to travel from Philippi to. Thessalonica, 94 miles. So we, uh, I want to give you just a brief summary of what's, um, what's gone on to this point since we started um, in Acts 16.8, uh, when Paul started his second missionary journey. So we saw that Paul traveled through the region of Phygeria and Galatia, and how we saw how God directed him, that he couldn't go north, he couldn't go south, kind of stayed west. Ended up at Troas, um, division of the Macedonian man calling for help. Paul makes his way there and ends up in Philippi. He starts the church in Philippi. We just talked about his imprisonment, how he was delivered, and now he's going to be in Thessalonica, and that's where we're going to pick it up tonight. So let's read... um, the first four or five verses in Acts 17. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphilopoulos and Apollonia, um, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths, and, um, you know, it, you can almost get the, the thought from that that he only stayed like three weeks, but that's really not the case. He was there for four to six months in Thessalonica. So it says that for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women women joined Paul and Silas. So explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer. The Jews um, were resistant to the idea that the Messiah would suffer, right? I think we all knew that. Even though there is a a ton of evidence, right? There is a lot of evidence um, in the Old Testament. And so Paul, I'm sure that he used some of these verses in his argument as he went back and forth in the synagogue. And you guys can write down the references because I, don't, I didn't want to read whole chapters to you guys. But one example is Psalm 22 that was written over a 1,000 years earlier by David and described the crucifixion of the Messiah. Paul would have quoted Isaiah 53, Right? He would have quoted Zechariah 12 and maybe some verses out of Zechariah 13 to demonstrate that the suffering, death, and resurrection of the coming Messiah was predicted by the prophets. So this is stuff that you know that these men should have known. So they either knew it or didn't really pay attention to it or denied it. It's hard to say. But you know, you can see that. The key for Paul to opening the scriptures is always to look for, talk about, and focus on one thing, and that was the person of Jesus Christ. You know, when um, any ministry that we have, whether it's out on the street or wherever, um, you know, it's when we open up the scriptures, it all points to Jesus Christ. It all points to Christ. Our faith is not a philosophy. It's not, a, it's, it's not in principles, it's in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Uh, you, be a, you will be a wonderful Bible student and an excellent Bible teacher if you learn this simple lesson. Talk about Jesus, look for Jesus. He's the key to opening the scriptures. And that's, you read through the book of Acts and that's all they did. That's all they did was point people to Christ. Point them to Christ. Verse four, it says, and some of them were persuaded, right? And a great multitude of devout Greeks, and those were the God-fearers who attended the synagogue, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. And when it says not a few, so there might have been a, there could have been a bunch of um, these leading uh, women who joined Paul and Silas. So, what impacted the Jews in the synagogue? It was the word of God. It was the word of God. And um, I'll probably, um, this chapter and the next chapter, and probably the rest of the way through the book of Acts, you know, just sound like a broken record. Because it's the word of God. It's pointing people to Jesus Christ, giving them the word. Um, I guess I, I could, I've said this to myself a few times in the mirror, but people really could care less <laughs> what I think. And you know what? They, they, they would be right for feeling that way. You know, if I, what I think doesn't make a difference It's what the Word of God says. It's what the Word of God teaches. It's, it's all about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's only one way to God. And, you know, you can, I mean, there's a, there's a world out there that, um, like, where we know is just totally depraved that they're lost, and um, I shared this Tuesday morning with the seniors. Um, you know, don't think that you can survive out there without having a good handle on the Word of God, in a in a, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is something that is paramount to you, something that is so important to you that you know that you you know you're in the Word, you're praying, and you're you're getting equipped, and you need it. You know, they're not taking any prisoners out there. You know, God has called us to, you know, to know the word of God, to put on the mind of Christ. You know, he's called us to impact the community, impact the world. And right now, it just seems like it's turned upside down. But, you know, it's just so important. And, you know, I I couldn't stress it enough. It's the word of God. It's the word of God that impacted these people's lives that Paul was sharing with in the synagogue. It was the word of God, the power of the word of God. It wasn't Paul's delivery. It wasn't the way he said it. Um, But his exposition of the scriptures is what caused them to believe. And obviously the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit honors the word. When you share the word of God, the Holy Spirit is there to bring that conviction, to open people's minds and hearts, right, to the word of God. So, things are going good, but this is like, um, I think Paul at this point is used to this. Things are going good. People are accepting the word. Um, You know, there are some positive things going on. Verse 5, but the Jews, (laughs) but, and when when they say the Jews, they're not talking about all the Jews inclusive. They're talking about the Jews who usually um, retaliate against what Paul is saying, right? So, it's but the Jews who were not persuaded, so instead of being not persuaded and walking away, it says they were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Well, the the them to bring out were Paul and Silas. And it's interesting to see that, that they became envious. The Jews were jealous for a lot of reasons, and we see a lot of those reasons today in some churches, but they were losing parishioners. You know, they were losing followers. They were losing a handle on the control that they had on the people. Jesus, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, was setting people free. There was no need for the priest to be there, right? I mean, they were set free. They would go to the temple and pray, but they really um, were kind of migrating away from the temple, from the synagogue, and starting home churches the church, when the church was birthed. So I think they had a lot, of, a lot of reasons to be envious, a lot of reasons to be upset. Um, there's other references to this in Acts 16, 9, 19. And chapter 19, verses 23 through 28, where um, opponents to the gospel were stirred up because they lost financial gain. Remember the one gal who could predict the future? You know, Paul just got so tired of hearing <laughs> hearing her voice and, you know, just constantly, you know, out there promoting them. But, he, you know, obviously we talked about this. He didn't want to be promoted by her. He rebukes her, casts the demon out of her. And um, you know, the next thing you know, they want to they want to string him up because they lost all of that money that she brought in. So there's a lot of reasons why, but it doesn't look like it doesn't look like Paul and Silas were really that concerned about it, you know. And it's interesting when we when we share the word, um, when um, we are uh, ministering to people, when we're witnessing. You know, our responsibility is is just to say what God puts on our heart. You know, the outcome is up to the Lord, you know, the Holy Spirit. You know, we have no control over the outcome. We're just being faithful to share what God puts on our heart to share and just leave the rest to him. And I really believe that's what Paul and Silas did. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts. They didn't try to force anything. They just were faithful to what God called them to do. As simple as that. So in verse 6, it says, but when they did not find them, they couldn't find Paul and Silas. And they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So I guess that's a testimony of the, to these guys that, hey, they're turning the world upside down. Right? The spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire was the beginning of a movement that would change um, the course of history forever, right? The church has changed the course of history. It's pretty wild. The world, therefore, is not what it is supposed to be, nor what it was intended to be. So what Paul and Silas actually did was turn the world right side up, right? Because, the you know... the People had, tra- had gotten so far away from God. Paul, was, Paul were, he was bringing them back. He was, making, he was turning things back right side up. And that's what God's called us to do. God's called us to get things back the way they should be. Right? And I'm not talking about um, politically or anything like that. I'm talking about in a spiritual sense with people. You know, God's called us to help people get things back right side up in their life. Because if they're without Christ, their life is upside down, right? We're called to help them get their life back, upside, right side up where it should be. And that's what, you know, that's what these guys are doing, and they're obviously being persecuted for it. But it doesn't, you know, it, I, thi- I, I, and I just said, who cares what I think? Um, I really believe this must not have, it must not even have been an issue for Paul. We're going to go into Thessalonica. We're going to go into the synagogue like we always do. We're going to share the gospel and we're going to let the chips fall where they may. As simple as that. If we get persecuted, we get persecuted. If we don't, we'll keep sharing the word. You know, if they want us to leave. If they force us out, then we'll go to another city. But they were, they were determined to just keep doing it, to just keep doing it. Verse 7 says, Jason, uh, they're accusing him of harboring uh, Paul and Silas, right? They say, um, Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus, so the charge against Paul and Silas is treason. And, of course, it's a very serious charge, right? And I didn't know this. I found this when I was just kind of studying through this. Church historians record six million Christians were killed in the first two and a half centuries for refusing to say Caesar is Lord. Talk about conviction, Right? You know, willing to part with your head for denying Caesar as being Lord and acknowledging Christ as as Lord. It's amazing when you look at you know you take a close look at church history and see um, just the determination and, and really the depth of the conviction that the church had. It's amazing. Paul's um you know basically what these guys are trying to do is paint Paul as a revolutionary who is bringing sedition to Thessalonica. And you know that just wasn't that just wasn't the case. It wasn't the case. He settled this issue back in Philippi when before he left. And they're trying and it's the same old thing. And you know what? It's not much different today. Um there's laws on the books now and they're you know passing laws um, every so often, to restrict the church, re- restrict some of the things that the church could say, um, you know, that would be classified as hate speech. You know, the thing is, are we as determined as as Paul and you know Silas and the early church to just look past all of that and say, look, you know, we're not, uh, you know, we're not. We're not in the treason. We're just being faithful to what God has called us to do. You know, and it's going to come to a point probably um, at a certain time in this country where it will be a little bit more difficult um, to share. But, you know, we already have the the playbook, if you will, in, in the book of Acts and in the word of God. So if they start to restrict things, we know exactly what to do. Just keep doing what we always did. Keep sharing, the, keep sharing the gospel. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep letting people know that, you know, they, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. People need to hear that. Do you guys remember when you heard that for the very first time? When you were saved and you actually felt that you were saved and you knew what happened, that transition that you knew without any doubt that you you were right with God, your relationship was right with God. And, you know, I don't think that anything can stop that. Any law can stop a person from sharing with other people to set them free in that respect. So verse 8 and 9, it says, And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest they let them go so taking security it's kind of like bail for today but basically the money was a guarantee that there was going to be no more disturbances no more talk about um, Jesus or no more preaching from Paul um, you know and as a, a practical matter this probably meant that Paul would have to leave Thessalonica since the Jewish Opponents would continue just to stir up trouble. So wisdom says, hey, you know what, Paul and Silas, you guys need to move on. And, um, you know, we're just going to kick the dust off your feet and just continue to move on. So they end up going to Berea, which is 50 miles southwest of Thessalonica. So in verses 10 through 12, is, you know talks about the ministering in Berea. It says, then the brethren immediately, so they didn't waste much time, sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. You know, that was Paul's custom. Where's the synagogue? Remember on the way to Troas, when he got there, there was no synagogue when he, they got there, and they, he found the prayer meeting by the river. You know, he was all, wherever he shows up, he's looking for the synagogue. He's looking, you know, for ministry. You know, it isn't like, hey, let's get a room and let's chill. Uh, you know, we'll find out. No, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's, I don't know if this sounds right, but it's just all business for Paul. It's the Lord's business, and he's, you know, he's just on it. He's just on it. So these, um, the Bereans, I like this. I, I, it'd be nice if they said this about us. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, Uh, Fair-minded, it it sounds nice, doesn't it? Fair-minded, noble-minded, you know, you're a nice guy, right? All right, so... And that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men, so men and women are getting saved. And these, it says that these guys were um, fair-minded. In some translations, it says noble. Um, and it, it, originally, the word in the Greek is eugenes, which originally meant of noble birth or well-born. And the word was also applied to people who exhibited noble behavior and that they were open-minded, fair, and thoughtful. But it sounds like Christian character, right? Open-minded, fair, thoughtful. And uh, these Bereans, it had to be like a a breath of fresh air for Paul and Silas to see these guys so willing to listen. You know, and, and to, you know, not just to take them at their word, but to, you know, to check them out at the same time. And of course, if you've been here any length of time, either Jeff or Rob or any of the other pastors that have been up here um, would wholeheartedly agree with this and say, check out check out everything we say, you know, go home and look at it. Right? And and that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. So and it's Luke says the Bereans were more noble and they're receiving Paul's message with all eagerness. You know, you got to ask yourself a question. When you got up this morning, were you eager to get into the Word? Or were you a little bit more excited about having breakfast first? Or, You know what I'm saying? Is there, you know, because I, I just don't want you to read past this. You know, I mean, you gotta, you got to kind of bring it, you know, bring it home a bit. I mean, is there a, um, is there a sense of excitement, like a... Um, just a, like an appetite. To just I just, want, I just want to get into the word, man. I, I'm just eager to get into the word. I just want to hear from God. You know, I want, to, I want to do that. And these guys are like that. They're at church and they're taking notes and they're, you know, they're looking at each other. Hey, I'll meet you at your house later. We'll talk about this, you know. And when I first got saved, it seemed like that's all that happened. I don't know what happened. You know, I, you're on the Lord and it seems like you, sometimes you can get a little complacent. But, you know, I mean, we were always talking about what the pastor talked about. You know, we, I mean, I did a lot of volunteer work with Teen Challenge. And those guys, you know, they would keep you there all night. But, you know, it was just there was a, an excitement. There was, and, you know, I've been praying, Lord, you know, I, man, I don't want that to go away. I don't, and I hope you guys feel the same way. I hope, you know, like these Bereans, I, I pray that there is an eagerness, an excitement, a drive in you to want to know more about God, to want to, you know, have God to search your heart. Just be open, an open book, you know, and let God have his way in your lives. And you know what? This kind of stuff will happen. This kind of stuff will happen. You, no, you won't, hopefully you won't get thrown in jail, but, you know, good stuff. You're going to share the word of God. People are going to get saved. You know, people's lives are going to be turned right side up. And that is, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. So the Bereans, they're definitely uh, definitely an example for us. And by commending this activity, searching the scriptures, right, um, with all readiness, right they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so luke is encouraging this searching of the scriptures as a pattern pattern for all believers this is not this is a this is a message a neon billboard for us to a message to us to do the same do the same and you know what there's a lot of stuff in the book of acts that's a pattern for the church There's a lot of stuff in there that is a pattern for the church. This is probably one of the most important, to read the Word with that readiness. Um, You know, wanting to have clarity in the Word. The idea that the Bible can be understood rightly, and not only by scholars, but also by ordinary people. I think, well... You probably don't remember this when we first started this book 16 chapters ago, but what really impressed me about the Book of Acts and still does today is that God used ordinary people. You know, God didn't take scholars. I mean, God took the off score, right? He took just the ordinary, just ordinary people. I think. Um, John MacArthur wrote a book, 12 Ordinary Men, kind of emphasizes the idea that, you know, these guys were just fishermen, ordinary men, and God used them. And throughout the book of Acts, you see ordinary men and women who get saved and are just convicted to the bone and are just on fire and just excited about what God is doing. And it's not like that. You know, they're saying, oh, I got to go out and, and witness. I got No, you know what? They're in the marketplace, and they're talking about Jesus. They're in the marketplace saying, hey, you know, God provided the rent for us this month. Or, you know, and it's just all about him. It's all about what God's doing in their life. And that's, um, that's probably the best testimony, right? The best way to minister and share the gospel is just sharing what God's doing in your life in just a casual way. I mean, when I worked um, for the county, that's how I witnessed the people. I don't know, you know, you guys have all been in the workplace. The most effective way to minister to your coworkers was to live it, obviously. But at the same time, just in the course of conversation, they're talking about stuff, and then you start, you know, you're sharing things. Oh, yeah, wow, church, we, you know, did this. Or, you know, it's just... They just see it as part of, um, just a part of who you are. So ordinary people um, who read it eagerly and diligently um, with conscience dependence on God for the help to understand it. Saints, the power is in the word. okay. And like I said, it's not in what you think or what do I think or any of that. It's what does God's word say. Word of God Speak. There's a song with that title, but Word of God Speak, the Bible will speak to you. You just got to give it the opportunity. How many problems would be solved? How many questions would be answered if people would only take the time to study the scriptures daily? Faith comes not by encounter sessions or group therapy, but by hearing the word of God. And I'm not, um, I, I, I'm not trying to say that some of those things aren't important, but it's the word of God really that sets us free. It's the word of God. Faith comes to those who are in the word, for only the word can affect lives, change hearts, strengthen faith, and renew minds. The word of God. The word of God. And, you know, I wasn't going to share this, but I, I think I will. I don't, I don't really share this. Um, I've never shared this. I think just once in my entire Christian life. But just to, um, to kind of convey the fact that, that this is true. When you, when you take a stand on the word, you know, God, um, you know, God honors that. You know, I was uh, on the methadone maintenance program years ago. And um, I was home in my apartment and somebody knocked on the door. And long story short, I got saved. So now I'm on fire for the Lord, but now I'm on this program that I have to report to every day and get counseled. And then I would get the methadone. And then I would leave and come back the next day. So I got to the point where I went in and just said, "Hey, look, I'm done." So the counselor looked at me and said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Look, I got saved, and it's it's just not. I don't even know who that other person was, but it, I, you know, I just I'm different, and I just really believe in my heart that." Uh, I'm not supposed to come back, you know. I'm so I'm not coming back. So he looked at me. He said, "Well, Dave, don't get, you know, don't get too crazy here. You know, you, you know, you, you're gonna have to wean yourself off of, you know, this methadone." And I said, "I'm not, I'm not doing it, and I'm just not coming back." <laughs> you know, I so I, you know they already knew I was a little stunted anyway. But, um, you know, I just, um, I just never went back. Got sick, but never went back. And even though that could have been a crazy thing to do, God honored that. And, you know, we got you know, we, we to get to that place where, um, you know, that's where our faith is. It's like, I don't care, um, you know, what the world is telling me. I don't, I, you know, I just know that God has impressed this on my heart, and I'm going to just do it. So, um, you know, and the reason why I shared that is I just want you guys to know that um, you got to just, it's, you just got to abandon yourself sometimes to, to, to what God is trying to do, you know, and whatever the situation is. And, you know, I think we're, I look around, I see you guys here a lot. You know, you, um, you guys know what it's like. You've heard from God. You know what it's like when God speaks to your heart. And, uh, you know, I know that um, there's times in your life where you think, no, that that can't be God because this is, like, really out there. You know, like this would really be a step of faith. But you know what? You got to take that step of faith. You got to take that step of faith. That's what these guys did, these men and women, these ordinary men and women that turned the world right side up that's what they did. They took God at His word, right? And, and you would think that Paul, you know, he's beaten, thrown in jail, gets out of jail, goes into the next town. <laughs> he gets beaten, right? And we're going to see now that he's in he's in Berea, right? Things are going great, but look what's going to happen, right? He's going <laughs> to verse thirteen through fifteen, but. When the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowd. So just when you think things are going great, now it's not even the people in Berea. Now it's the people that were hounding him in Thessalonica decide they get word that, you know, he's teaching the Bible in Berea. So they follow him there to stop him from teaching it there. You know, I don't think that Paul ever got to the point where he said, Lord, you know what, I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. You know, I just can't, this persecution's just getting to be too much. But if you read through the epistles, right, Paul said that he counted that all joy. You know, he did. Something that you would think, how could somebody say that after what he's been through? But that was the depth of his relationship with the Lord. You know, he was so convinced of what God had called him to do that nothing was going to take it away from him. And, you know, that's what my heart is. Lord, help me get there. Help me get there. And I pray, you know, I you know, that's my prayer for this church, that we would continue, regardless of what's going on in our lives, that we would continue to press forward in our relationship with the Lord, just knowing that he's faithful. You know, in James it says that, you know, when we go through trials, to, to stay the course, you know, to, to be patient. And the reason why we can do it, because we know that God is taking that, that trial and he's using it in our lives to, to grow us, to shape us. And when we know that, it's a lot easier to stay under it. And then he goes on to say, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it liberally and doesn't abradeth. Right? So we're going through this process, and if we need wisdom as we're going through it, James says, Hey, pray. God will give you the wisdom you need. And that's what you see lived out in these guys' lives. They're going through, they're, they're ministering for the Lord, and they're going through trials. But you know what? They know that God is the one who's called them. So they're going to trust God through it, and as they're going along the way, they're going to ask God for the wisdom that they need so they can keep going forward. You know, they're not praying, Lord, get us out of this. You know, they're praying for wisdom to get through it. Right? And that's, you know, it says in Corinthians that all of this stuff that was written beforehand, and I know it refers a lot to the Old Testament, but for us, all of this stuff was recorded for us, that we can get a glimpse into what it really looks like to be committed, to have conviction. And it's a, you, you see it here. So the crowd, um, you know, they, uh, they come and they also stir up the crowd, verse 13, now verse 14. And it said that immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens That's another 222 miles away. And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So, Paul, uh, it seems like trouble has a way of finding him, or at least following him around, right? So, the people from Thessalonica, the, probably the evil men that they got from the, from the town, come and stir up the crowd um, against Paul. So Paul leaves Berea and heads to Athens. And really, this is, the at that time, the intellectual capital of all of history, the city of Aristotle, of Plato, and Socrates. And it's kind of interesting. They leave Silas, Silas and Timothy in Berea. So when you talk about commitment, it's like, hey, hey, Paul, um, you know, they came here to beat us up again. They came here to persecute us again. Um, Can't we leave with you? You know, do you think that we, you know, could we leave with you? No, you guys have to stay here and hold down the fort. All right? Stay here. When when we get to Athens and things are cool, we'll send for you. You know, and think of just the level of commitment for these two guys, right? They're they're staying in a, an environment that is not church-friendly, right? It's not a Christian-friendly environment, but yet, you know, they trust Paul's judgment. You know, they know that Paul didn't just think it's a good idea, that Paul asked them to stay there, you know, so Paul is probably just carrying out something that he felt that God had put on his heart. And here's Silas and Timothy holding down the fort. That would have been, um, that would have been an interesting, can you put yourself in, in, in that kind of a situation? You know, it's almost like when Ananias is told to go, God tells him, go pray for this guy Saul. And you know, Ananias, he, these guys didn't even, there's no record of them. Kind of pushing back, but Ananias—he at least he kind of dialogued with the Lord a little. Well, you know, this Saul is—he's killing us. You know, he's putting us in jail. But um, you know, God straightened him out, and he went and did what he was supposed to do. But these guys um, just remain faithful. Whatever was going through their mind, they just knew it was the right thing for them to do. So, um, you know, they stay there. So now we're going to see. Paul and Athens and we're not going to be able to get too much into this but um, let's um, let's just get we'll read a few more verses and then we'll call it a night verse uh, 16 through 18 it says now while, now while Paul waited for them Timothy and Silas at Athens his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered encountered him, and I'm assuming in the market because they wouldn't be in the synagogue. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, Because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul's waiting for Timothy and Silas. And he's like really moved at just the idolatry of the city. He is, um, you know, although it was a cultural center, um, you know, and fine arts and everything, you know, Paul wasn't interested in, in those things. Um he um you know he wasn't there to, to do sightseeing, right? He was there for ministry, God had sent him there. Um not that sightseeing is a bad thing, right? Um but Paul Paul is just is just overwhelmed with the idolatry, how lost, you know, these folks are. And um, you know, that's a, a good check for us, right? How you know how how is our heart as it um, as it refers to those that are lost. Do we have a heart for the lost? Do we drive, you know, Paul's walking, I mean, think of the buildings he's seen, the structures, you know, all of the idolatry, everything that's going on in Athens. And, you know, Paul could care less about the structures that was, what was happening in them. And Paul valued people more than he valued Um, you know, these buildings and what they stood for. Paul didn't consider idolatry as picturesque or harmless, but as grievous. I mean, it grieved his heart to see all of these people just lost in this idolatry. And I pray that, you know, God gives us that heart for the lost. You know, as we go out in the summer to the neighborhoods again, that, uh, you know, you'd be excited about that, just to get out and get the word out. You know, we're not going out to promote Calvary Chapel of Rochester. Uh, We're going out to promote Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, people need to hear that. And, you know, they're just, they're they're right here, you know. So that's that's what we're going to be up to. In verses 17 and 18, it says, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. I like that phrase, with those who happen to be there. You know, Paul takes it out of the synagogue, into the market, and he doesn't have any uh, people group, um, you know, in mind. It's just whoever is there, we're going to talk to about the Lord, right? That doesn't, it's not complicated, right? It's a good plan. Hey, we're going to go to the market, and whoever's there, we're going to share the gospel with. I mean, that's not a bad deal. Go to the synagogue. If they don't want to hear it, we're going to go to the marketplace. And it's interesting because when he goes to the marketplace, in verse 18 it says, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. Right? And we just read that. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said it seems, he seems to be a, a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. This is how clueless they are, right? They think that Jesus is a foreign God and resurrection is a foreign God. That's what it's saying here. They're thinking that he said that he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And it's kind of weird, but that's the sense that I get from reading that. So, The marketplace, whoever is going to listen, they run into these philosophers. And this is going to open a door up for Paul to be able to share um, with some of the, well, I guess, the the brightest people um, in Athens, right? Uh, The Epicureans were followers of a philosopher named Epicurus who taught that pleasure and not the pursuit of knowledge is the chief end of life. And the Stoics were pantheists uh, that worship, um, that tolerates all gods, who believe that wisdom uh, lie in being free from intense emotion, unmoved by joy or grief, willingly submissive to the natural law. So it's an interesting group of people that Paul's going to dialogue with. And uh, they said, what does this babbler, babbler want to say and, um, you know, they kind of mocked Paul out, calling him a seed picker or a gutter swallow or a sparrow and saying that he was just coming up with all of these different ideas and talking about them, but he really didn't know what they meant. But Paul definitely knew what he was talking about. I mean, obviously. But, you know, these are, um, you know, these are the intelligent folks. You know, these are, um, you know, academia. These are the smart people that when you tell them that, they need Christ. They look at you like you're talking a different language. Like we need, we, do you know who you're talking to? You know, I mean, sometimes it's hard to, to minister to real smart people, especially if, you know, when they, they look at you as not being as smart as they are. But, I mean, obviously it's not going to stop Paul. So Paul's being accused of grabbing uh, little bits of knowledge without fully digesting or thinking through that thought. So, um, you know, they ridiculed him. Um, he wasn't sophisticated enough to be taken seriously. And I think that all of us in this room, maybe at one time or another, have shared the gospel with somebody like that. Like that, you know, we, we just weren't on their level. They didn't want to hear what they had to say. You know, and like I said, some of them thought that Paul was advocating foreign gods, but obviously um, they were cu- they were clueless they were clueless they needed um, they needed to hear the gospel. so I want to stop here and uh, I think I'm filling in next Sunday night so we can finish this chapter next sunday night and it's interesting if you want to do some homework, um, there are some folks out there that that believe that Paul should have handled this whole thing at you know at Mars Hill a little differently, um, you know. And if you want, um, do a little browsing through some commentators and some other teachers, and uh, give that give that stuff some thought. But you know, for me, I, I, I when I I kind of make these comparisons, it's um, it's easy to. Um, to kind of take a step back now and and look at it, you know, hindsight, but where, when you're like right there in it, and things are happening, like here, you know, Paul's meeting these guys in the market, the next thing you know, he's on Mars Hill talking to all of them, (laughs) you know, so, uh, you know, I think Paul did, he was trusting the Lord for sure, but, you know, Read some of the different commentaries out there about this just to, you know, and maybe next Sunday night we can sit a little closer and we can have maybe some dialogue about it. That would be a novel idea, right? And then for you folks at home, you can't dialogue from there. You have to come to church Sunday night. But, you know, get some, you know, get those brain cells working and um, read some of the different thoughts about this. And um this, but you know, we're going to read what's recorded, but um, it really would be kind of nice to kind of kick some thoughts around. And in doing so, it's not somebody's going to be right and somebody's going to be wrong. It's just nice to sit around like we were talking earlier and just talk about the scriptures a little bit, have a little dialogue. I think it'll be a healthy thing. So I'm going to mark it down here. So come prepared. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And God, I know that um you know sometimes it's um it's easy to to be here and and kind of encourage people um, to do certain things um but I thank you God, that um you know I'm just looking in a mirror um, and you know I just um sharing with these folks what I need to do and god I'm just so thankful that. You know, that that's, that's the way it is, Lord. You, um, The folks that, um, that teach here, um, you know, we're all learning. <laughs> you know, no one in this building has arrived. And, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to hearing from these guys uh, some of the things that you put on their hearts. Um, thank you, God, for challenging us um, in your word. Thank you, God, for helping us to not only see the truth, but to be able to make the application, the practical application of it in our lives, to be able to look into your word and be able to um, get to the place where we understand it enough where we could share it um, in a clear, concise way. I pray, God, that we would all be able to... um, to share um, the road to Romans and just different verses to help people understand um, what salvation's all about. Uh, God uh, help us to be um, effective ambassadors, ministers of Your Word uh, to our communities and our workplace where we're at. Help us to be an example. Enable us, Lord, through the power of Your Holy Spirit to be a light. And Lord, we are just so thankful for. Our what you're doing, and what you're going to do in and through us, Lord. So we praise you. We thank you, God, for traveling mercies, for all of us getting home safely. Pray, God, for the rest of our evening. And should you tarry, Lord, that uh, we would um, have an exciting day uh, in you uh, tomorrow. So we praise you, and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.